circle, yes, we rotate. 
and think about the men incarcerated there when it is winter and dark and dank. As an educator, I want to be involved with this college and have the opinion that when men and women in prison do get released, they need a set of tools in their academic and job skill toolbox to find employment and return to the mainstream of society. Recently, the police officer, Chauvin, who killed George Floyd, was sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison. Realistically, he will serve only 10 years. This stacked up against the many, many black and brown prisoners serving terms for longer and far less crimes is an insult to justice. Let's face it, black lives matter, but in reality, the prison population is predominantly black and brown. The prison system has become the new lynching program and I am dedicated to changing it through education and justice reform. I am mortified to say that the first thought that went through my mind when I saw what the sentence for Chauvin was, possibly the violence in prison will impose a more serious sentence on him than the judicial system did. Will he be treated in a special way and protected because he is white? I hope not. These are not thoughts that I want to have because they are negative and non-productive, but that is how the inequality of the prison system makes me feel. Graves in Canada are being found of hundreds of indigenous children and will probably go into the thousands. It is truly horrifying. But if all the graves of all the black people in America were uncovered, I am sure the count would be in the hundreds of thousands. We should not be too smug here in America about the Canadian situation. We have buried thousands and thousands of indigenous and black peoples here. We just haven't begun to dig. What is to be done about this horrid history? The first step is knowledge. The truth must be told in our education system, the real truth, not the fairy tale stories that are prevalent. We could start by insisting that the book Cast by Wilkinson be required reading in school. Oprah bought 500 copies of this book to send to every member of Congress, every governor of every state and mayors of cities. The next step is to support programs that are trying to reverse the course of history in the river of pain we have inherited. One such program is the Mount Tamil Pius College. M-T-T-A-M-C-O-L-L-E-G dot org. Check them out. For Full Circle, this is Pamela Lyons. Okay, callers, it is now your turn. Why don't you call in and express yourself? The numbers are 510-848-4425 or 1-800-958-9008. And while you are calling, we'll take a little music break and hopefully you'll give us a call. Here we go.
Okay, we have our first caller, and that is Joy from Berkeley. Go ahead, Joy. Wow, thank you for having this segment, and especially playing that song. Look how prescient Michael Jackson is and was with his music and foreseeing the future. I wanted to um, express my serious, serious disdain and concern with the fact that the city of Berkeley in particular has all of this market rate housing being built, hundreds of units. And we have one of the largest homeless populations in the Bay Area. It's a poor, deplorable. It's inhumane. It's terrible. And I, I hate that my tax dollars are going to support market rate housing. Supposedly, California, the state of California passed a law saying that to develop housing, you have to develop uh, affordable housing. It's not even that definable. But they've also made a loophole where developers don't have to develop any moderate or low income or affordable housing. They only have to pay for it. So they develop housing and they give the city a certain amount of money per unit that they're calling affordable or low income or moderate and giving the money to the city. Now the city's got to build that housing. It's insane. There's no, um, if they really cared, if they really cared, every developer of housing in this state will be required to develop 30% low-income, affordable, moderate housing at the same site. Why do we have this segregation of rich, high-income people and, and, and middle-income or families? It's ridiculous. And if we really cared about each other, we would use our resources and how many cities are sitting around with millions of dollars and they're not able to develop housing? It's insane. Berkeley's new housing in the last five years, 50% of it is vacant. 50% of it is vacant and we got more homeless laying on the streets than ever. I just had to say that and I'm so grateful that I was able to express that, but sad, sad crush that I had to say that. I wanted to um, add my two cents to that as well. We, You know, we have housing going up North Berkeley, South Berkeley, downtown, and it's, people will say, okay, it's progress. But what I see is that housing, which is not affordable for middle and lower income people, results in those people having to move elsewhere. In the 70s and the 80s, there was a 20% African-American population today, that has dropped to 7.9%. So it's progress for some people, but it's not progress for others. And the Latina uh, population and the indigenous population. Berkeley in the 60s and the 70s had a very diverse population. I know, I lived here in 1969. So it's, it's, it's the mindset of I want to live with I want to live with who I want to live with, and it's people like Satellite Affordable Housing, which I'm on the a board of, and I appreciate their mission. Um, but they've been so intense on rental housing, and I want ownership. 
land ownership, home ownership, that's what really moves people forward. So I've been on this board for 20 years, not making any complaints about it, but I've been trying to move them towards uh, helping low-income, middle-income, and families have savings account, learn about loans, and help them and assist them to move to home ownership, which would leave um, space for new renters, young people, people come out of college. You know, it's, it's uh, anyway, I'm taking responsibility because you know what? In order to change things, you got to take responsibility. Trying my hardest. Everybody's got to work on this. Well, thank and you. Thank you again for having this segment. I don't want to take up the whole time, but this song was so deep and so prescient. I loved it. I love this show. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, we so appreciate your calling in and callers. The number is 510-848-6, no, 4425-510-848-4425 or 1-800-958-9008. And now we'll go to a comment about housing, commentary about housing from another Group 46 member, Deanna Levy. Here we go. I'd like to talk about housing. If you live in the Bay Area, you know that housing, actually lack of housing, is a huge problem. Prices for homes in places like Berkeley have become unaffordable to all but the most wealthy among us. People who could once pay their rent or even buy a home on a modest hourly wage are unable to do so. This was a problem before the pandemic, and it's only gotten worse. The median price of a two-bedroom house in Berkeley has gone from about $800,000 in 2015 to $1.2 million in the first quarter of this year, according to statistics published recently by Berkeley Side. And the homeless point-in-time count and survey says that homelessness in Alameda County has doubled since 2015. But you don't need statistics to see the problem. Growing homeless encampments are everywhere. Tent cities line the sidewalks and parks of the richest cities of the richest country in the world. So how did we get here? The main cause is simple. We have not built enough housing over the last several decades. More people have been moving to the Bay Area for work, but we have not built housing to accommodate these newcomers. The Bay Area has created six jobs for every one unit of housing since 2010. So prices have gone up and our most vulnerable, low-income residents are the ones who have been pushed out. Do you want to help? Like, actually help? Yes, jobs and mental health services are part of any solution, but it's pretty hard to keep a job or get treatment if you don't even have a place to live. And this ignores the fact that many of the unhoused already have jobs, but still can't afford a place to live. People need their basic needs met, like food and shelter, before they can effectively address other problems in their lives. We could have had more housing, but zoning laws originally written to keep people of color out of historically white neighborhoods have made it nearly impossible to build anything except large, single-family homes in cities like Berkeley. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to build more housing, preferably affordable housing like apartment buildings, but honestly, any housing will do. We just need more of it. Yes, it might change the look of your neighborhood. It might change the type of people in your neighborhood. But why is that bad? I live in North Oakland, and when I walk around my neighborhood or Berkeley, I see delightful, colorful signs that say everyone is welcome here. All colors, all cultures, all types. But are they really? It's easy to put up a sign, but it does not create the homes that are needed to actually welcome new neighbors to our cities. 
So if you really care about welcoming everyone, let them have a place to live. That means allowing development in your own neighborhood, especially more apartments and fewer single family homes that only the rich can afford. We can help this situation, but it's going to take time and we can all be part of the solution by opening our eyes and thinking honestly about what our communities really need. And right now it's housing. For Full Circle, this is Deanna Levy. Thank you, Deanna. And now we have another caller. We have Beb from Berkeley. Go ahead, Beb. Hi, thank you. I love this show. It's wonderful. And a good forum to be able to express some things that aren't being expressed in other areas um, that are becoming increasingly, increasingly harder to find information on. Um, first, I want to uh, back up both of the previous callers by saying, yes, I, I experienced the same the same kinds of feelings. I live in West Berkeley and interact regularly with many, many people in West Berkeley. I've lived here for 40 years. And there, uh, many of these people are older, over 50, over 60, over 70, and they have no, they don't, are not on the internet, many of them. Not all of them, but many of them are not on the internet. They are not using their, their cell phone. And yet, are getting more increasingly and increasingly frustrated because uh, of things like there is a program in, that goes throughout Berkeley and many of the other areas called Next Door Neighbor. Next Door Neighbor is a program that is on in, in the internet, and you sign up for that and say, "I live at such an I live in this neighborhood," and you don't have to put your real name or whatever. You can I sign in the way you want to sign in. But um, what I found out recently was very much more disturbing. Um, when this first started, I had checked it out. This was about five years ago. Um, and there were some helpful things on there. there. They were really neighbors saying, okay, I have this, or I, I can do this, or if you have a need of this. People helping people. Now it has uh, ominously spread to... I live in a, a, in a uh, mixed unit, uh, a mixed apartment building, uh, of eight, well, there's five buildings, four buildings, and 18 units all totaled, um, due to a couple of very aggressive and overly optimistic landlords who thought that they could come in and get everybody who was on, who had been living here in this area for many, many, and I'm not the only one with this landlord. There's other people down here that have had the same problems with this, these landlords, have been living here for quite some time and have found themselves having to go to um, legal aid every day to try to answer these evictions so that they can build the new, so that they can rehab these apartments that people have been living in for a long time rather than fix them, rather than uh, fix, you know, infrastructure problems within them. Um, they are actually letting them get worse and, and by passively just not not addressing them at all. And <clears throat> when you don't have that kind of support, you wind up having to go to legal aid or whatever. If you're disabled, that's daunting. If you have any kind of um, uh, mental uh, disabilities, be it uh, temporary or long range, um, it's almost impossible. And the, it's in terms of um, next door neighbor, let me get back to that. Um, next door neighbor, I was 
actually, uh, this is beyond my comprehension in some ways, um, turned into a flat platform for people who have moved in and are paying the $3,000 for a one-bedroom apartment where the landlords came in and put, you know, shoddy, shoddy uh, fake wood floors and um, in these in these units where these are 19 where, the, where I live it's a 1941 building so if you're going to come in here in the last five years or the last four years and you're going to redo apartments um, then you and you're not looking at the exist, existing foundations and what happens could happen to you that happened to me your bathroom will fall in your kitchen will ceiling will fall in you will wake up one morning and they will in your and your next door neighbor's washer and dryer will be in your kitchen sink um, this is and they'll fix it the way they want to fix it, which is most of the time not not up to code. And they know that. And thinking that being not up to code, that will move the person out, and then they will be able to um, uh, restructure that one-bedroom apartment that someone's been living in for years to um, a two-bedroom, $3,000 apartment. This involves moving load-bearing walls. So even if your apartment hasn't fallen in yet, you kind of worry because it's the one right above you or the one right next to you. So these are these are flying like way under the radar. No one's mentioning these. I'm not seeing this anywhere. On um, these people that have moved into these three-bedroom apartments, I've had convers or two-bedroom apartments, uh, one-bedroom that have been made into two-bedroom apartments. I've had conversations with, and they've said, "Oh, we have our own next-door neighbor. We and on our own next-door neighbor site, we're told not to mix with the residents." They are the residents that are already here. We have to stay within our, you know, the people who have just moved here, which is extraordinarily not Berkeley to me. It's, it's, I don't, I, I can't even begin to comprehend why that's allowed to be happening here. But it is. So a shout out to watching out for next door neighbors. Um, the two people in front of me said a lot more about rent, about the rental situation than I can possibly say. I have one thing to add to that, and that is the senior housing. Um, I'm seeing more increasingly that people are being, that have been incarcerated, that have mental health issues, that have disabilities, are being encouraged, um, and not gently, to move into well, then you need to get out of here, and we need to put you in senior housing because you'll have a washer and a dryer, and, and there'll be an elevator, and there'll be this, and there'll be that. What they are not telling you is that there are ADA rules, and the ADA rules say that you cannot give a key to somebody. You cannot, um, there are things that you can and cannot do um, in these things, so the restrictions are... So how does that, how does that impact on accessibility? Uh, the accessibility you, is really tough when... If friends um, want to come by or if you... If your friends want to come... If you have a... If you, God forbid, you have a, an accident and you break a leg or you break your arm or you get some kind of physical condition that makes it difficult for you to f cook your own food or move around um, and someone wants to bring you food, they cannot do it. Um, you're not allowed to give your key to anyone, and if you're in bed and your leg is broken and it's propped up and somebody comes to your door and says, I have some food for you and you can't get out of bed, there's no way they can let you in. They can't slip a key under the door. They can't leave their door unlocked. This is the ADA rules. Um, they are supposed to be monitored by an office that's in the bottom of every single one of these senior housing buildings, and they're supposed to ha be staffed 24 hours a day. 
if um, or have an emergency number for that's accessible and answerable. And I've had personally one person die and another person um, go for five days, 86 years old, without food because her elevator was broken. This is a building on University Avenue that was built as, you know, one of the premier senior housing buildings. Four days without food because their elevator didn't work and they couldn't allow, they couldn't get anybody in. They couldn't let anyone in. Why? The management wasn't at the at their desk downstairs. Person in El Cerrito, same situation. Um, border of El Cerrito and Albany, same situation. Broke his foot. Uh, couldn't get to the door in time. Slipped in the bathroom. He died. Uh, no, no one found him for two days because no one was there. No one was there to answer either of these problems. I'm not going to get emotionally in-depth with those, but I think that there's a big reason why people aren't flocking to move into this um, offered senior housing. There are a lot of questions to be answered that are not being answered. So that's it for the housing part of it. Um, no, that's not it, but that's part of the ongoing uh, discontent with the housing problem. So you, you mentioned something about resources. I mean, you mentioned that people don't know about things. And um, it seems that uh, the world thinks that everybody has Internet access or should know about stuff. So uh, have you found anything about that, learned anything That's about correct. that? Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, the federal government mandated all, all of the... the uh, uh, internet providers, all internet providers to provide internet, like Comcast and you know AT and T, all these Wi-Fi providers. Um, in an article from, well, it wound up it wound up being on page 15 on the corner where you could barely see it, but I think Larry Magdill, um, who's the CEO of Connect Safety, uh, Connect Safely.org, um, he wrote this article. This is from the um, uh, East Bay, Express, uh, East Bay uh, Times, and what it says, what this says in here is that under, um, this uh, the the pro has if the federal government said that it's got it started an internet essentials program. So by it provides high speed internet and low cost computers for nine ninety five a month to people who qualify if they're if they are eligible for public assistance programs like national school lunch program, housing assistance, Medicaid, SNAP, SSI, and others. And the service costs a fraction of what most customers pay. Includes fifty mil, fifty uh, megabytes of. Um, service more at more than adequate for streaming wireless gateways hotspots and the option to purchase a computer for $149 other internet providers including AT&T Comcast offer low similar low cost services so if you or someone you know regardless of where they live can't afford their service they need to contact their local um, ISPS or their local internet Wi-Fi providers and find out what's available because Federally, again, federally mandated, they all have to be providing something. Okay, can you everyone. back up a bit? You said that people, low-income folks, should be able to get a computer for $149? Correct. And Wi-Fi and how, for how, and how does that happen? It happens by you call, and, and, and this is actually piggybacked on another thing that I'm going to bring up earlier, uh, later, called the... Uh, um, low-income relief it's a site on youtube and on the on the, on the computer 
um, and on Roku, which is an alternative to having a computer if you have a Roku. Um, so I will address that in a minute. But um, Comcast is the one that introduced International Essentials Program. But they only introduced this because the federal government said, hey, you've got to do something because not everyone is on the Internet. Backed up by that is the fact that um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was very, very lost. I had no idea what was going on. I had had a car accident. I was hit by a car. This was not me running out into the middle of the street screaming. This is somebody in a car who was probably just as confused as everyone and sustained a, uh, uh, some, you know, real damage. And um, I didn't realize that there was help for people to do this. I wasn't able to be on the computer, and, and, and during that time, my computer got really hacked and hacked and hacked. This, by the way, is not just a thing here in Berkeley. This is a thing that happens in, um, outside of India and in, in Hyderabad outside of Hyderabad in southern India. Hyderabad is the um, Indian Silicon Valley. We are in the California Silicon Valley. This has a high impact in terms of um, rents, people who are working here, how much they make. If uh, Many of them are making forty, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a month, a month um, to in, in, in these in these in these companies, um, enjoying this boom, um, which has driven everything up for the rest of us. One of the federal uh, mandates for this was: look, you're going to have to make this now. This is getting getting out of hand, and you're going to we're going to we're going to have to make the main providers accountable to allow people that are low income to be able to use the internet and have help with the internet. Well, we haven't gotten the help with the internet yet. I don't know what's going on with Center for Independent Living. I have no idea. They're keeping up with everything they can. I call them every month. And every month they say, we're full. We, we can't see anybody, but we've got our, our wait list is completely full. I'm wondering what the city of Berkeley is doing for, for their disabled and for their elderly. Uh, senior citizens that are not, you know, on, on uh, 20, 40, between the 20 and 50-year-old range that are are, have been using this thanks all the time, or for those people who have sustained a, a temporary injury and need help um, during this time. So that has gotten gone by the wayside. But the feds looked at this and they said, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to have that. Um, major Internet providers are going to have to offer this. Now, I had paid Comcast bills for a while because I'm, there's a couple of things like Berkeley Community Media. Berkeley Community Media is a station, is our is Berkeley's television station. On Channel 28 is content for the community. On Channel 32, Comcast, is um, for the most part uh, the government, uh, rent board, zoning board, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They've mostly been on, um, I've checked in with them a few times, mostly been on um, Zoom, and it's been kind of confusing to understand what's going on in Berkeley regarding the Zoom thing, but then I'm not going to touch that one because Zoom is Zoom is a very controversial thing going on anyway. I get that it's hard to do that. But with all of that notwithstanding, when the feds say, look, 
you've got to offer everybody internet service if you're going to say you've got to be in here by internet. So I get a, 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 I reached out to Berkeley and said, look, Berkeley uh, Senior Center, I believe it was, and somebody opened the door really quickly and shoved a piece of paper at me and said, here you go, and shut the door. No discussion, no nothing. I brought the paper home feeling really good, thinking, wow, I've got the resources. I can, I can, you know, navigate. I can try to navigate this. And I am a single mother with a disabled child as well in care. So I got home. I looked at all the resources, and I went, wow, this is going to be great. This is a lifesaver. Not one phone number. Eight and a half and eleven, eight and a half by eleven sheet sheet of paper, full on both sides, not a margin to be seen, and not one phone number. Only accessible by internet. I looked at it and I thought, huh. Took it over to a neighbor of mine and said, is this just me or what? And she said, no. I ran into the same thing. I have no time for that. I have to find food. I can't do this. I just got back from the food bank and half the food is expired. I have to go find food. I can't. I can't even worry about this. So there is a there's a lot of of of, of, uh, of uh, fallout. Let me just say, and this goes very deep. Can you yeah. tell us uh, some places where people can find out if they happen? You know, the libraries are open again. They are open for limited hours and for limited functions. But I, th if if folks cannot use the computers in the library as before, they can check out computers and. Um, I think the library also provides them with access to a mobile hotspot. So people who don't have that blessing of having Internet access um, in their homes or don't have smartphones or phones that do that type of stuff, or maybe they might have a phone that'll do it, but they don't know how to work it. So how can people find, get this information? That is totally legitimate. Um, um, I'm glad that you brought that up because even if you do have a computer and even if you do have a working cell phone, like they were dropping out of the sky uh, about four years ago. I remember it. They Every time you walk into a senior center or, or a place for help, they would say, oh, you want a phone? Here, here's a phone. And you didn't know how to use it, so you signed up for the next class that was, you know, coming around at wherever you could. And initially, these were done by social services and the social service departments in Berkeley, the senior centers in Berkeley, as well as Oakland. And they worked with each other and everybody on every street. There were street corners all over the place, and they still have them at the dollar stores at, at different places. 99-cent store still has them. Um, you can go and know. And Do you have a comment? Basically yeah. give you a phone. Um, when you call Joyce. Kaiser, when you call um, many of the... Joy, the can you hear um, me? Uh, uh, your utilities or other things. Um, the first thing they're going to ask you is, what's your cell phone number? If you have a landline, oh, it's what's trouble. your name? And, what's your name? And it's, it, that's troubling. Um, okay, to have Kathy, that. Great. So you'll hear also, me next. Um, it's Kathy. If you do have a landline and, you, and, and okay. you are using your landline, you're getting 90% okay, more spam calls. Okay, than, any, on, than anyone Kathy. else, and okay. we are in this area getting more spam calls than anything else. And I don't, I, I, I asked other people about this, and theirs, and theirs, their experience is pretty much the same as mine. These things start at 6:45 in the morning because that's when seven o'clock or six o'clock in the morning Eastern Standard Time is where these calls come from, and that's they're already three hours ahead. 
I've had to fight really aggressively to get them to stop with this. But many people just kind of give up. Um, and I understand that. Okay, so, Bryn, I'm sorry. We um going to have to move on to the next caller. But thank you so much for all that information. We really appreciate it. Okay, let me give you two websites real quick. Okay. Seniorliving.org. Mm-hmm. It helps all seniors in the law, law, nonprofit law firm um, called HELPS, H-E-L-P-S, the Nonprofit Law Center. The area, and it's uh, helpishere.org. And the phone number is 1-855-H-E-L-P-S-U-S. That is a working phone number that goes nationally that you can find help at. The other one is... Um, Oh, by the way, the broadband is also providing, um, is also require, required to provide broadband on tribal lands, of which we are living on many. The other one is Survivor Corps, and this is an important one because many people are walking around with long-term COVID. They've tested negatively a hundred times, and or many times, and been told they don't have COVID. So they're not being listened to for the, sites, the, the, the symptoms that they do have, and they are sick, and they are struggling. And we need to be mindful and caring of each other all over the place because no one knows what situation the other one's in. If your doctor can't tell you and, won't, or, and, and is bound, not is... And what, what, what is that um, information for contacting those folks, please? Uh, Survivor Corps? Yes. Survivor Corps is SurvivorCorps.com. I don't have a phone number for them. Okay. It's, it's online. It's a, uh, um, and Facebook and online. And Thank I, you. Thank you so much point. for all the information. Um, and up next, we're going to have uh, Kathy. Kathy from Richmond, you're on. Uh, yes, I'm Kathy, and um, I, want, I want them to uh, stop drug testing. You, if they legalize uh, marijuana, to stop drug testing because I don't think it's fair when you smoke a joint maybe in January and you take a a, a test in eight in March, you still dirty, but but you know you still not you know you still come up positive for marijuana after three months. So so who's doing is the, who's doing this testing because in California people are supposed to be able to use cannabis although I know on some fed, in some federally funded or federally connected uh, housing places they still don't see the light and they're going to you're going to get in trouble even if you need it medicinally um if anybody in your household or near your household um has smoked cannabis, then they're going to jump on you. So who's doing the testing? Um, You know, when you go look, when you apply for a job, you know, if oh, the federal okay, okay. would change, um, if, if they would make the federal make it legal, then maybe they will stop um, drug testing you. Or at least get your levels to know that you didn't smoke a joint that morning. You know, I mean, you smoke one in January and you take a test in March, they should be able to tell that you hadn't smoked for a long time, you know, but you could not get a job for that. That happened to me. But yeah, but you could drink alcohol on Tuesday and then take a drug test on Wednesday and be fine. And you're an alcoholic. But that's okay. Hello. 
Hello, can you hear me? I'm sorry, caller. I was taking another call. So, uh, what was that last part? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes, I I, do, I hear you. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. I was um, just saying that um, it's not fair. You could drink alcohol and take a drug test, but you know, you smoke marijuana, you take a drug test, you won't get the job. But I could be an alcoholic. I just can't smoke weed. Right. Well, that's how. Things are still backwards in many respects. Yeah, alcohol is legal. They, uh, it was not legal for a while, and then people, you know, finally the the people at the top saw that wasn't a good idea. But who knows how long it's going to take them to uh, wake up about cannabis? The pharmaceuticals. So, so uh, Kathy, do you have anything more to add before we go on to the next caller? Um. Natural um, if pharmaceuticals made natural drugs, it, it would be legal, like marijuana. I think you're right, because they could, you know, they could get rich, sure. <laughs> okay, Kathy, thank you so much. We're going to now go to um, Sandy from Rohnert Park. Oh, hello. Okay, uh, I heard all this stuff. About access. I just recently got the $10 a month. Uh, internet from AT&T and uh, the online, if you can go online, it's um, AT&T Access to Wireless. AT&T Access to Wireless. In order to qualify, you can either produce a copy of your food stamp SNAP card or if you're on SSI in California or if you're designated low income, which would be one person in a household, annual income 17226 two people, 23274 and it goes on up. Um, I got it real fast. They processed me real fast, came out, installed a modem. I already had a tablet, and um, it's $10 a month. You can be billed over the Internet, or they can... It's send it through the mail, and it is $10 a month. Wow. So could you repeat uh, for people who maybe didn't get their pencils yet or are still writing it okay. down? Repeat those contact um, places, yeah. please. Uh, if you can, you go online for this. I don't have a phone number, but if you call AT and Customer Service, you could probably get it. It's called AT and T Access to Wireless. Well, that is such good information. So we know at least one person that actually yeah, yeah, made and the contact and and got it taken care of. Yeah, they'll send an application in the mail. You fill it out. You send it in. And you get approved, and you're good to go. Great. Thank you so much for calling in with that information. Well, you're very welcome. All the best. Thank you. Okay, we're going to take another little music break, and then we'll come back with a commentary from one more Group 46 um, member, and um, we might be able to squeeze in another call or two, but right now, let's go to a music break.
guest that is the Queen, Ms. Arisa Franklin, singing Respect. We're going to have one more commentary from our Group 46 members, and this one will be from Shiloh Burton. And here we go. It's funny how money changes situations. How money changes situation. Miscommunication leads to complication. My emancipation don't put your equation. I was on the humble you want Stockholm syndrome. Definition, feelings of trust or affection felt in many cases of kidnapping or hostage-taking by a victim towards a captor. Public education has always been held hostage by the patriarchal white supremacist capitalist captor. We know because the reign of Rona shows us this dis-ease and the truth of our abusive relationship. Said another way, after decades of disregard and defunding, the race to nowhere, and no child left untested, school communities are exhausted. Said another way, let me tell you about the denied reality of public education from my fatigued 15-year photo teacher perspective. Said another way, these crushing dehumanizing policies hold a child's worth and dignity hostage until they pay the ransom of obedience and indoctrination in a severely under-resourced and over-disciplined environment. And we all know public schools are oppressive to different folks in different ways. Said another way, our children are tied up in traditions teeming with toxic stress, and we know students stay showing up and we teachers stay sustaining these structures. Said another way, the neglect, harm, and malnourishment are also known as the educational survival complex. Thank Thank you, Dr. Bettina Love, for naming the state's assault bombarding the minds and imaginations of administrators, educators, and student scholars. And we know schools are cultivating complacency for a life of exhaustion that murders the spirit of us all. And still we know joy is essential for learning, for teaching, for living, and most importantly, for loving. We must interrogate and reflect on the broken, reckless, and shabby conditions of schooling. We must radically reimagine a way forward towards reparations. We must envision education for liberation because we know that we deserve to build communities of practice that are bathed in the principles of integrity, curiosity, empathy, courage, collaboration, and imagination, so that together we will invent and maintain a learning culture that fosters dignity and empowers the entire community. Said another way, we produce the process and programs we have been willingly walking into that harm us and our future every day. And we know we are on the precipice of possibility because we know we must come together and critically examine, identify, and reflect on what we want education to be. We must reclaim our worth and resist the current chains of profit over people priorities. Said another way, will you take the time to dream with me of schooling as a place to celebrate our shared humanity? Said another way, what if we promote purpose, play, and belonging? We have the power to transform our consciousness and our conditions if we will stop, look, and listen and engage our radical imagination in this labor of love. We must prioritize resource sharing, critical thinking, creativity, and empathy. What would school be then? 
Let me tell you, we will know an educational environment that encourages resistance, reflection, and restoration. We will know our students and teachers matter. We will know we belong. We will know we care. And right now we have the chance to change rather than continue to choose captivity. Together we must fight for freedom to flourish and shine because we know the unexamined life is not worth living and that self-delusion in the service of a cause, no matter how big or small, is a price we cannot afford. Thank you, Socrates and James Baldwin. And we know we must examine ourselves in the world as we are. And we know we must build better to abolish our enslavement to the educational survival complex. And said another final way, we know we must collapse the white supremacist patriarchal capitalist incarceration of our minds, of our bodies, and of our spirits. Mattering, citizenship, community sovereignty and humanity go hand in hand with the ideas of democracy, liberty, and justice for all, which are the unalienable rights needed to thrive, and we know these must be the principles we adhere to when teaching our children. Or said another way, finally, let us develop a negative into a positive picture. For Full Circle, this is Sentient Charlotte. Thank you so much, callers, for your expressions. And uh, we will be inviting listeners in the future to make comments. And probably we'll deal with some of the thing, positive things that people have discovered and want to see implemented. Uh, that have happened during this pandemic. So, again, we appreciate all of you, and so long. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. We'll wrap with Marvin Gaye's wonderful What's Going On, because what goes on for many people of color and low-income folks continues to be what goes on and on and on. And we wonder... When will the United States of America really be of, by, and for all the people? I've been your host, Ms. M, and I'm the executive producer. Our talented and invaluable technical director is Frank Sterling. Our production consultant is Joy Moore, and our production team are the graduates and participants of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. We're currently accepting applications, so visit kpfaapprentice.org for more information or call 510-848-6767, extension 235. La Onda Bajita is next.